Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. At AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored for your business needs. Specializing in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. To elevate your business, visit ajproducts.ie. Hello there and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. At this stage, we are definitively into the official campaign for the two referendums on family and care, which are due to take place on March the 8th. Last week's Irish Times poll showed substantial majorities in favour of both proposed amendments to the Constitution, but it also showed a majority of voters felt that they knew very little about the issues that are involved. So that might mean that the debates which take place over the course of the campaign itself could possibly change a lot of people's minds. The opinion pages of the Irish Times have already played host to a a range of differing views on the subject, but two of our weekly columnists have been particularly forthright. Uh, Justine McCarthy has argued strongly in favour of the changes and Michael McDowell has been equally forceful against them. So I'm delighted that they're both joining us today. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Thank you. There are lots of connections between these two amendments and uh, they represent, I suppose, the outcome of a single process coming to a culmination. But if possible, I'd like to separate them out a little bit at the start and address each one on its own merits. So first, the 39th Amendment, which if passed, is going to expand recognition of the family beyond its current definition, uh, which currently emphasises its its foundation in marriage. And it includes families based on, and this is, I suppose, the key quote, Michael, durable relationships. And you have concerns about that. What are they? Well, I mean, the problem I have with that is is more than one problem, I suppose. But the the, the most pronounced problem is that the government has said they will not define what durable relations are by statute law. Um, And uh, they said it's for the courts to decide. And the chairman of the the referendum commission, um, Ms. Justice Baker, has said it'll be for the courts to decide in hard cases and uh, it'll depend on the facts of those cases. So we're making, uh, we're being asked to make a change to the Constitution, the meaning of which and the exact uh, result of which is not clear and will be decided in, in by the courts. Now, it's one thing to say, oh, well, what's wrong with the courts deciding these things? But the courts only decide cases where there's a dispute between people. And um, she referred to the concept of hard cases. At the moment, we, we, we for instance, by statute, give certain rights to people who live together who aren't married, cohabitants. And they're given uh, rights by statute after five years if there's no children and two years if there are children. But it has it was defined by the, by the Iraqis as being a committed and intimate relationship between two adults, which is at the, at the heart of it. So those are cohabitants' rights. But even in that... The act that was passed in 2010 to allow for this said that parties to such a cohabitation were free to contract out of it. As long as they're independently advised, they can 
sign away their rights to each other's property, to maintenance, to all of those things, and 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 that that will be upheld in general. So, if you come to the constitution and you say the family is going to be, be uh, subject to kind of uh, cohabitation arrangements of that kind, a very different problem arises as to whether the parties to a family ba um, based on marriage or, or, or other durable relationship will have the right to sign sign out of it, sign away, say this, this is the basis on which we're together, or will they be brought before family courts and told what the result of their uh, um, cohabitation oh, is. Okay, I might come back to you on a couple of those th those points, but before I go to you, Justine, do, do you accept that the definition as it currently stands in the Constitution is very limited and doesn't recognise the different sorts of family formation which exist in, in many cases? Well, um, I, I accept that the, the Constitution has a particular view of, of, of um, the family, which is uh, one based on marriage. And the majority in the Supreme Court recently uh, refused to change that. Two judges in the Supreme Court argued for abandoning the link with marriage. But, you know, if you're going to, for instance, as we do, say that uh, um, marriages can be dissolved by courts, if but only if the parties have, are living apart and if but only if there is no uh, chance of reconciliation and if but only if proper provision is made for the children of a marriage... That's not going to be there for um, uh, the durable relationship people, the people in a durable relationship. Uh, so the, the present um, provisions in relation to divorce will still apply to marriage, but they won't apply to non-marital durable relationship type families. And the consequence of that is that the way I see it, getting married is probably making a decision which is more difficult uh, especially in, in modern times, um, and less easy to deal with than not getting married and simply cohabiting. And I wonder, is that the kind of society we want to bring about? There is, I mean, and, and I'm not saying anything against single parents, but there is evidence that um, children in single parent relationships are single, are children of um, kind of informal liaisons between uh, their parents do worse, generally speaking, uh, socially, economically, educationally, than, um, than people who, who come from a, a family based on marriage. Now, that people may say, oh, wasn't that terribly censorious of MacDougall to say that? It's just a sociological fact. Justine, you were writing on this very subject this morning and you had, you had a number of interesting points. I mean, your French example was, a, was an interesting thing, first of all. Maybe you could tell us about that first. Yeah, I, I actually met a couple over Christmas. She's French and he's Irish and they were back in uh, Dublin for the holidays and they announced that they're expecting their first child. And um, somebody in the company said, oh, I heard you got married. And they said, no, we didn't. We got packed. And then they explained that in France, you can actually go to the uh, the mayor's office or a notary's office and you can sign a contract and it's called a Pacte de Civile, Civile de Solidarité. And by signing this, um, you are saying that you're entering into, you know, a long-term relationship. 
and you can gain benefits and also take on responsibilities in the areas of tax and social welfare and various laws. Well, it's a like kind of a civil partnership. It is. And we did have civil partnership in Ireland before the marriage equality referendum was passed to facilitate same-sex couples who wanted some sort of regularisation in the eyes of the law of their relationships. And I do remember at the time there were calls in the Dáil for civil uh, partnership to be retained in law for uh, couples of same sex and opposite sex. And we dropped it. We don't, you you can't enter into a civil partnership mm, now. Why did we do that, I wonder? Yeah. Well, I think it was a bit short term. And, you know, while I think, that, you know, this, Michael is right, this government has said it's not going to legislate, um, that it will leave it to the courts to define a durable relationship. And I do expect that this government won't, but this government has a very short life left to live. And I think future governments will have to because the people will have spoken in the referendum and said, no, we want durable relationships to be on a same constitutional footing as marital relationships. I suppose one of the things, and I thought your piece was, was very interesting today, you make, a, you make a point after talking about the, the usefulness of civil partnerships, you make a point that the current situation as it stands is just incredibly messy for people who have to become entangled with the law or with taxation policy in terms of people's rights. They vary from one place to another. That's right. It almost depends on which uh, department of state you're dealing with. Um, yeah, there there is a statutory recognition of cohabitants in Ireland, but it's conflicting and it's haphazard. And even within the Department of Social Protection, for instance, there are different standards applied to married couples as those applying to cohabitants. Um, intradepartmentally, uh, there are major conflicts. And the one I quoted, for instance, was in criminal justice, a man or woman cannot be made by the prosecution side to give evidence against a spouse. But in the case of cohabitants, that doesn't apply at all. So we do need to tidy up this whole mess. Mm. And I agree completely. But say, for instance, um, a cohabiting couple end up um, where the um, one partner is being asked to testify against the other. Um, if you say that, well, if they're a durable relationship, they have the same rights as husband and wife would have under a um, a, a matrimonial family. How is that decided by a criminal court one afternoon? I mean, do they say that, you know, Justine and Michael uh, are in a durable relationship um, based on testimony? Do they adjudicate that? Um, that's all completely up in the air. So, you see, the point is we did in that 2010 Act provide for cohabitants, but as, as Justine said, we scrapped the thing that I actually set in motion, which was the civil partnership, which was a pre- marriage equality referendum measure to try and bring justice mainly to um, uh, gay men and women. So is it possible, God forbid, that you both agree on this point, that there are a cohort of people, I certainly know some personally, who didn't wish to get married even though they were in long-term relationships. Very often because marriage is not only just, you know, a legal yeah. contract, even though that's very important and and those yeah. those issues about responsibilities and property rights and inheritance rights, all those kinds of things, they are very important. But for many people, it's also rooted in a certain, um, you know, a deep 
long-standing yeah. cultural history, but which people have people have difficulties with. So people should get the opportunity for in the case, a different type of. You know this case of Omar um, in yeah. the Supreme Court, where yes. this man claimed that his entitlement to the widow's the contributory widower's pension after his partner of twenty years had died, they hadn't married. Um, and it says in the judgment they didn't marry primarily because she feared that if they did marry, it would end up like her parents, mm. unhappy, and they had separated. But also the Chief Justice makes a very explicit point in that very lengthy judgment where he says that um, there are people who don't feel that they want the state interfering in their intimate and personal relationships. And, you know, that is a fact of life. And we have to accommodate people like that. Why should they be coerced by the Constitution into an institution that they don't agree with? I suppose because the argument would be because that that institution confers certain rights and responsibilities on on the people who enter into it. And those rights and responsibilities, like any contract... By going into that, you go into that for certain reasons and then you, then, then you share those mutual interests going forward. And you, you shouldn't really, I suppose, the argument would be, be able to accrue those rights and responsibilities in some kind of a completely ad hoc but way. But surely the Constitution should be serving the people, not the people serving the Constitution. And if a substantial number of people, as we see from the data, a substantial number of people are not getting married, surely... The Constitution should recognise that and accommodate them rather than people, uh, citizens, having to adjust their lives to suit the Constitution. Well, I mean, that's fine if if you were taking out all of the uh, provisions in the Constitution dealing with families and marriage. If you just simply said, let's go back to the 1922 Constitution, which never mentioned any of this um, and never accorded to the family, what will still be in it, and that is that it's an institution, a moral institution, the primary unit group in society with um, inalienable, which means you can't give them away, and imprescriptible, they cannot be taken away, rights antecedent to positive law, it says, which means that statutes can't take your rights, your family rights away from you. Um, but take, an, take, for example, and the O'Mara case is interesting because I, I agree with, uh, with what Justine is saying. The, the striking feature of that case was that Miss, the, 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 the woman, Miss, I think she's Mrs. O'Mara, she, was, she refused to become uh, married because she had personal, um, personal uh, experience experience which, of marriage. She jaundiced with the idea of marriage yeah, she, and she yeah. was afraid. And, of and what the yeah. Supreme Court, the two of the Supreme Court judges said, well, let's take a look at all of this link between the marriage and, and, and the family. Um, and they were put into a minority. Five, the majority said, no, um, uh, the, the, the Constitution is clear and we're not changing it in that way. But what the five then did was they said, but objectively looking at the Omaras as a group, is there, is there any reason, whether, whether or not they're a family, that they should, as a group of people, um, be treated in a way which amounts to discrimination between them and members of a family. And that was the gist of the majority decision. And they found, no, that this was an arbitrary and invidious discrimination which didn't reflect reality. So that's fine. But then you come to something like taxation. In 1980, 
the Supreme Court looked at a case from by Mary and Francis Murphy, and they were able to prove at that time uh, that the tax regime was very different from ours today. Uh, if you read the judgment, you'll nearly fall out of your chair. It refers to the top rate of tax being 80%. But in any event, um, they were able to prove that two people with their income structure um, were um, worse off for being married than if they weren't. And the Supreme Court struck down that uh, those provisions of the Tax Act um, and they relied on the current wording of the Constitution um, in, in, in the family and its rights and um, the protection of woman's role in the family and the right of women not to work if, that, if that's against their wishes. They relied on that to knock down the tax law. Now, we're being asked to take all of that out of the Constitution. But the real question is this. Supposing a cohabiting couple um, say that their next door neighbours got married and they are on, on a better tax deal than they are, you know, their uh, thresholds and bans and all the rest of it are better than they're enjoying. Are they not in a similar position to the O'Maras? Are they not able to say, why is it that we have a combined income of 80,000 euros or 100,000 euros, and we pay more tax than the O'Maras. And the logic of, of O'Mara, in my view, is that uh, unless the state can come up with some very good reason, you have to say, well, look... These and, and that's regardless of this this debate, because yeah, that's a rising that's out, out, out of the Supreme, Omara, Co- yeah. Supreme Court so, decision. So, but, but, the, but the curious thing is that the going back to the Murphy decision... It was based on the current wording of the Constitution, and that's all about to be taken out because it's alleged to be um, uh, kind of patronising some, uh, the National Women's Council called it misogynistic. I don't agree with that language. Let's get on to the, the, the other passage. But just to come back to the nub of, I think, what you were saying and what you've written in your in, in your columns, you you make the point, if I understand it correctly, that, that one of the real problems with the, the provision as, as proposed is that it, it mentions these durable relationships. You think it would be better if that was followed by a phrase, you know, as laid out by statute. In other words, it, that, that would mention the role of the Oireachtas to whether it would be a case of introducing some new form of civil partnership or in whatever other way of delineating which relationships fall within Well, it won't be just civil partnership because uh, the Constitution will now say this is a family, a durable relationship gives you all family rights and it makes you that institution. But you are saying that that, that, that this wording constrains or prevents the Oireachtas from No, I'm, 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 I'm making a slightly different point, I think. I'm saying that the if you say that, that it's whatever the courts decide is a durable relationship uh, and once... The courts decide in a contested case, because all cases are contested. People don't come into court and say, please tell us. But, what but forgive me, as Justine said earlier, the current government is saying it's as the courts decide. Yeah. But does that mean because the current government says it, that that is going to be well, I, I, I the see rule it, forever? I saw two academics um, uh, querying that point. And um, the problem with it is that we are saying that uh, durable relations, uh, but, uh, relationships constitute a marriage. And if we then say, oh, sorry, it really is a matter for the Oireachtas to decide it, then we're back to the 2010 situation, which, for instance, uh, uh, the, for cohabitation, which provides, it, it provides that uh, if you have a child after two years, you are eligible. If it's a committed and intimate relationship between two adults, that those are the criteria, that if you don't have a child, 
you don't get the rights to each other's to maintenance or to a share in property unless it's five years and it, it satisfies those things. And that in either event, you can do either a prenup or a, an agreement during marriage. I mean, a relationship could, could go so far and then uh, they, they, they say we're going to have a child. And at that stage, they could say, well, we're not go- we're not um you're you're not getting half of the farm if this breaks up or whatever mm. it might be. And but, at the but, moment, at the moment, the, you're entitled to say that. But the state that. can legislate; it could bring in a French pact type system, for example. Can I can I just but, say but I think there's an inherent be, discrimination be. in that against couples who are not able to have children. Why, if, for instance, after yeah. two years you decide, okay, we're going to have a child, and you try for three years, and then you're you're yeah. told, sorry, you're not going to be able to have I, children. I fully agree with that point. I mean, there the 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 criteria that now exa- applies to cohabitation doesn't take any account that, the, uh, that this couple could be up in a fertility clinic all day, every day, yeah. trying to have a child. And so, they, Michael, is it not, does it not make more sense then that on the basis of if this referendum is successful, that a future government will provide in law again civil partnerships? I imagine thousands of people would go for that. And the, the uh, history in France shows that there has been a massive uptake that the number of packs in France now is almost level with the number of marriages. Well, and, uh, and I mean, that's fine, except for one thing. In this country, we are leaving in the Constitution this statement that a marriage is a, a, an institution antecedent to positive law, that it is rights which are inalien and imprescriptible, and uh, they, this, uh, it, it's to be protected in every every circumstance. Um, and it has, it, it, these rights exist, for instance, in taxation, they exist in welfare, they exist in you know, all sorts of areas. If we're going to say that somebody who's, if you are a durable relationship person, are you entitled to the same tax treatment as a married person? In my view, almost certainly you are. On the basis uh, uh, of the recent uh, but, judgment. But who, but who decides? Who, but no, well, that's the very point. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you make a declaration to your inspector of taxes and say we really are committed and, we, and we've been trying for children and we haven't had them or whatever? Um, or do we have to go to court to have it established that we do qualify for double tax uh, bans and allowances? I mean, the, all of this is left completely up in the air by, 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 by taking out the definition. This, this sort of brings me to a question which I was going to, I was going to raise later, later in the conversation, mm-hmm. but it, this seems like a moment for it, which is you mentioned the fact that none of this stuff is in the 1922 constitution. Yeah. Is it a good idea to have your constitution laying down these, these broad moral claims for different parts of society? Are they, not, are they not inevitably going to raise these sort of really messy issues which really should be dealt with by law? Well, I think the less we put into the Constitution, the better the Constitution is. And there are many things in there that are really very good, but there are other things that are really very uh, detrimental, I think, psychologically to the state. I mean, this this would be a first step. I know we're going to talk about uh, removing the gender bias in 41.2. Well, that's only the first step. Yeah. If you read the preamble to the Constitution, it talks about how the people of Ireland owe uh, such a debt of gratitude to our fathers who fought for the freedom of this country. I mean, 
what about all the women? What about all the talk of, the, you know, the 20, 2016, the centenary? The, it's all in the name of the Holy Trinity it's all in the name Jesus of, Christ. Yes, the people uh, talk about uh, that, Michael, but yeah. they don't talk about the fact the women are completely written out of the history <laughs> I mean, of the of the foundation of our state in the preamble to our constitution. That is kind of going off the point no, of the no, referendum. I think it's kind of relevant yeah, because particularly in relation, and let's, I mean, let's, let's move to the, you know, the, the, the 40th Amendment specifically, you know, which defines women's work within the home as being of particular value and makes a claim which I'm not sure I've ever seen um, defended in a court of law, which is that they won't be forced by economic necessity to have to go out and work for money. I don't think, has, well, is anybody, is, correct is, me, yeah, has, ever, has any woman ever been well, protected from having uh, to abs- go out by economic necessity? Absolutely. And this is, this is one of the, the myths, and I'm surprised that the yes academics don't admit this. I have here um, a, a photocopy of Kelly's Constitution, uh, uh, the book, the, the, the big textbook, and I'm not, we're not going to go into the detail of it, but there was a case of L&L in 1992, and that was a case in which um, the Supreme Court considered whether it was legitimate for a husband in the event of a separation at the time um, to say uh, in relation to alimony, in respect of his wife who had been a parent in the home uh, for their children, whether it was legitimate for him to say she can go out to work. And uh, in L&L, the Supreme Court said, oh, hold it, alimony must reflect the right of a woman under Article 41 to to, uh, remain in the home and not be forced out uh, if the husband's means can, can bring that about. And there's a simple case. The Murphy case is another case where it, where it arose. Uh, uh, there, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, this is a dead letter. It has never been mentioned in court. It has never had any practical effect. There's a whole chapter in Kelly devoted to what was and what not was not its effect. So, and, I mean, and people who are against the referendum proposal keep quoting um, the former Chief Justice Susan Denham's um, opinion in a case where she said that uh, 41.2 does not uh, stop women going out working. That was a legal interpretation, Michael. The truth is that there are many women who feel that there is a subliminal message in the Constitution that says that a woman's life is within the four walls of her home and it has affected society. You only there are so many disparities, gender disparities in our society, and we're not the worst country by any means. But if you look, for instance, at the the way Leinster House organises itself, it has been run largely by men since the foundation of the state, and since the uh, De Valera's Constitution, who should be very well versed in what it says in the Constitution. And they created a working environment in Leinster House that absolutely militates against mothers participating in any parliamentary democracy in the country. Um, I I have been very disappointed and very surprised at the number of women um, who have been writing to um, the Irish Times letters to the editor page saying, well, you know, I stayed home and looked after my children, so I want this special status retained. Or I went out and I had a great career and it never affected me, so I want this to be retained as it is. 
But yeah. we're, we're forgetting about all the scandals about the way the state has treated women that we have been dealing with in the recent de- decades and primarily unmarried mothers. And again, I go back to the Omara judgment where the present Chief Justice, Donal O'Donnell, talked about that unmarried mothers were as invisible in Article 41 as they were or were wished to be in the general life of the state. Now, that is our current Chief Justice saying that. I don't understand how anybody could say that it is not misogynistic to say that a woman's life is within the home. Well, 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 first of all, the Constitution does not say that a woman's life is in the home. And the Constitution actually goes further in Article 41. It says woman by her life in the the home. home gives the state um, um, uh, something of of, of value. So it does say woman's life is in the home. No, no, but but the women by their life. uh, Is there a reference to women's life anywhere else in the Constitution? Yes, but I'll give you an example. Um, In um, Article 45, which are the directive principles of social policy, it says that men and women equally have the right to, 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 to uh, go out to work. And Susan Denham, in the quote that you were referring to, um, she said, you know, the Constitution isn't to be interpreted. Uh, uh, people should take a look at the, the entirety of what she said, albeit that she was dissenting in Cathy Sinnott's case from the majority. But she was saying that the Constitution is not to be interpreted in, t- in today's uh, world by reference to attitudes in de Valera's uh, world, that, um, that as far as she was concerned, it constrains no woman from um, operating outside of the home, that uh, that all it does is express uh, a, a value that the state puts on what women do within the home. And Chief Justice Murray, interestingly, he went further and said, um, if, if you look at the Constitution, it should be interpreted as saying that men equally have duties in the home. So, I mean... Uh, well, it should. And men should be up in arms about the discrimination against them in the Constitution. But those those eminent legal judgments um, don't fully take account, it seems to me, of the symbolic power of the words themselves existing in the Constitution. I mean, you wrote, I'm just going to quote your line from one of your pieces, if you don't mind. You said that this clause does not confine women's choices in any way, even psychologically. I admire your bravery for knowing well, well, what women well, of Ireland's well, psychology well, is. Well, but well, I don't, what, what evidence well, well, is there well, for what, that? I'm, what I'm saying is this, that, I mean, I, know, I'm, well, I don't want to get into personal uh, details, but I know uh, very uh, well uh, of families where um, the spouse works outside the home. As do I. As do I. And we all know this. And I, I, I do not believe that, uh, that uh, Article 41 uh, 2 has had any psychological effect whatsoever in of relation to that. Of course it has, Michael. I speak well, sorry, as a I'm, woman I'm, and a mother, and it psychologically affects me. It affects many women I know. I have been aware since I was a girl that this was in the Constitution. But what was in the Constitution? That woman's place is in the home is what's stated. A woman by her life in the home. Gives the... the, uh, Yes. yes. A woman. Woman, singular. She has no other dimension. Woman by her life within the home. She has no other life. But but many women, many women though, Justine, I mean... uh, I know, and, and they write for the Irish Times. I'm talking about people like Catherine Connolly, the Alaska Hirlick of the Dáil. I'm talking about Dr. Fanola Kennedy, who's written in your paper. Many, many women take the view that uh, they do appreciate the state saying, you know, even if we're not out there 
um, uh, uh, with a, uh, a PAYE job, we are doing something of huge value for the state. And uh, um, you may say, well, why, why, doesn't, why, why isn't that said about men as well? The amount of men who are working the home full-time parents is minute compared to the amount of women who do that role. It's growing. I know, I know it's growing, but it's, but it's still minute. And, and I would say this, um, in, in all honesty, I don't accept the ideology that says all um, human beings, male and female, are identical in relation to uh, the whole question of family. I actually accord to maternity something different from paternity. Um, I, I think that anybody who says that they're the same, they're just yeah. both parenthood, no, that's wrong. I suppose yes, there are aspects of who we are. It's not entirely what we are. No, no I, exactly, I suppose exactly. one of the points, just to illustrate Michael's point, that those letters which you referred to earlier from 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 a range of women um, supporting the you know the current wording, they they seem to come from from two different places. One was there is a, there's a contemporary concern around really quite frantic sometimes debates around gender in in, in the modern age yeah. and the idea that the the, the idea of woman uh, is being effaced in some way from from public discourse. And the other one was as you said from women who feel that. Um, I, I tread carefully here, but I'll still put both my put my feet into it. Who feel that contemporary feminism undervalues the work of women who work as homemakers in favour of uh, women in careers? Uh, that was my perception of the two, of, of the two the two objections, I suppose, yeah. that were there. Maybe and it was I the think same that one. the sure. really interesting word in what you said, Hugh, is contemporary. This idea is being promulgated that people who are advocating the the proposal that we uh, get rid of the genderized language in 41.2, that we are modern-day feminists spouting sort of progressive, woke theology. That is absolutely not true. At the time that this constitution was drafted, there were many women campaigning against it. In fact, there is a note that John Charles McQuaid, the late and um, former Archbishop of Dublin, wrote to Eamon de Valera and apparently, according to John Cooney, his biographer, he was writing to him every day <laughs> with proposals about the Constitution and sometimes twice a day. He wrote, and I'm quoting this, the feminists are getting angry about the Constitution. They seem stung by the suggestion that the normal place for a woman is in the home. Now, he did not dispute that that perception was wrong. And the clear implication in that note is that the feminists were wrong to think that a woman might have any other place but in the home. Margaret Buckley, who was the president of Sinn Féin at the time, said that the, um, the content relating to women made women out to be dimwits which may have been a bit strong and unfair on women who were staying in the home, but it shows that there were women who were feeling passionate about it at the time. Louis Bennett said it was a chivalrous sentiment. That was so prescient. It has pretty much proved to be nothing more than a chivalrous sentiment. Well, can I, can I say, it, uh, well, first of all, it is true that there were um, uh, feminists who did oppose um, uh, the the wording of the constitution at the time, 
But let's be honest about it. The great majority of women didn't agree with them so uh, at the time because social attitudes were different in those days. So, I mean, saying that, you know, there were 20 people who said this is wrong doesn't mean that... The, the trade unions? Well, but, but yeah, but Louis Bennett was was probably in a minority in trade unions too at the time. But, she was um, a prominent trade unionist. Well, well, anyway, but most uh, people uh, now would think that she was right. I think it's fair well, to say. Well, well, she was right in what respect? That, but this, this was rooted in a form of patriarchal misogyny, yeah. uh, almost well, entirely well, cooked well, up well, by well, men sorry, I, uh, with I, statements I, I about women. I don't accept the term misogyny at all. I actually think that if you look to what's in Article 42.1, it says that a woman should, uh, should not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour outside the home to the detriment or to the whatever it is to neglect of her duties in the home that was entirely pro-woman at the time this was a patriarchal society if you like concerned for women in slums in Dublin who the patriarchal society was telling you must have eight children and you must not use contraception and uh, they were you know you have to remember that the 1935 contraception became illegal in Ireland. That was a patriarchal society. And a a misogynist one, wouldn't you agree? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the term misogyny... It was certainly uh, sexist. It was a sexist society. And it was, paternalistic. Uh, it, it was a paternalistic sexist society. Uh, I, I accept that proposition. But misogyny, no. In fact, they were, they, they, the, the big evil, as I can see in retrospect, that the Catholic Church and John Charles were... were, were absolutely appalled by was that in Henrietta Street there were families of 12 and 8 in a room and the woman uh, was forced to go out and work as a char lady or whatever it was leaving the children at home to uh, to their moral yeah. um, uh, peril um, John Charles, was, the preacher the, of the dogma that the woman <laughs> would have to have as many women as she could possibly physically could. produce. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that, that was that was Ireland then. But if you say, if you look to what Susan Denham said um, in the uh, judgment, in the words which aren't being quoted, she said, you know, you don't interpret the uh, Article Forty Two One now. A forty-one-two now in the um, in the uh, in the light of uh, an Ireland which is long, long since past. She said, "We are in the Ireland of the Celtic Tiger, and this is a wholly different world." And um, I mean, and, and several judges have said that. You know that these provisions. Um, you see, there is a, there is a tendency, and I hope now I'm not getting too uh, soapboxy on this, but there is a tendency. You know. Old Catholic Ireland was so awful, the mother and child homes and all the rest of it. We have to clear that clutter out of the stage completely. Fine, if you want to do that. But in this case, you're actually taking out the threads of, 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 the, of the Constitution, which brought about the Murphy decision to give married people fairness um, uh, as uh, vis-a-vis unmarried people. Uh, you're, you're taking away the L&L decision that I mentioned earlier, which said, you know, um, hold it, a husband can't say to his wife at home, why don't you go out and get a job? Uh, now, um, I'd prefer to hang on to more of my money uh, now that we're breaking up. Um, the, the, the court said, no, no, no. If, this, she, this if, she, if she has been a parent in the home, you have to respect that. This supposed woman-loving regime uh, jointly populated by Eamon de Valera and John Charles McQuaid, um, I find it hard to accept that because you were talking about de Valera's government that refused to publish the Carrigan report 
four and a half years before drafting this constitution, the Carrigan report revealed a huge amount of juvenile prostitution, child sexual abuse, organised within families in many cases, blind eyes turned by families in many cases. Like, where is the love well, I mean, for I, children? I, I, where is the love for women? This article in the Constitution, Michael, not only does it give s- certain women a constitutional high status, it completely underlines a prejudice in society against other women, well, I women see. who were unmarried, maybe women who were raped. Uh, I, look, I, 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 I go along the the road a tiny bit with you, Ireland in the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s and even into the 70s and 80s in some respects was a cruel place. Not the only for, one, be it said. Not no, the only no, cruel no, but, place. But, you know, but, this, but, it wasn't but, exclusive we, to we, Ireland. We, but we, we, were, we were not great in, in a whole mm-hmm. series of areas and we were very, very bad in, all, in far more areas towards women. I'm not, I'm not uh, disputing any of that. But I am saying here now that the only reference to... Um, the only constitutional uh, protection for women not being obliged, uh, say, in, in the event of a family uh, split up, uh, to uh, go out and work because the husband says, I, I need the money, to, I'm going off to a new partner, you have to, you have to go and work. That alimony, the Supreme Court has relied on the very provisions that you say now are demeaning. Um, you know, this is something that you have to face up to, Justine. Uh, they are in LNL, they said, hold it, the courts have a duty to a woman in those circumstances because of Article 41.2 not to oblige her against her wishes to work outside the home. And can I, can I make one other point? There are two, two entirely different categories or maybe more of women. Uh, there are... There I'd are say there's more. <laughs> no, no, but <laughs> in, 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 more. relevant to this question, there are women who uh, want to work outside the home. I know all about that personally and uh, I, I won't go further than that. There are women who... Um, want to work and who want to uh, put their children into creches or get in child minders or whatever it is and uh, to, 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 live, to live a full life of, of a citizen outside the home. Equally, there's a group of people who um, uh, find themselves now in circumstances where to pay colossal rents and all the rest of it, uh, they aren't in a position uh, to 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 uh, do what they would much prefer to do, and that is to remain within the home because of economic pressures of society, and uh, you know to 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 acknowledge that that there are two different attitudes is all I'm doing. That isn't invalidated by saying that um, that uh, the state should protect the choice of a woman if it can do to remain. In the home. I, I suppose all of this then comes back in terms of the overall picture, Justine, is to, you know, what should or, 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 or shouldn't be in, in the Constitution itself. I mean, if I take Michael's central point, it's that the Constitution is full of things, many of which seem out of date or archaic, and some which may be just not fit for, for a purpose. But if you start pulling at bits of them because they are, and, you know, people have been looking to get rid of the mother in the home provision for 30 years or more. There have been umpteen committees and yeah. hearings of one sort or another about that. But that if you pull at that brick, then another whole constellation of other things connected to it start to wobble. For example, his example is his, his concern about about defining what you know what relationships are. I mean, maybe we just need to throw the whole thing out and start from scratch. Well, I did make that <laughs> proposal at one stage, and Michael was quite scathing about it. Um, if I was uh, Dole Aaron incarnate, I wouldn't have drawn up 
these two questions of the mm. referendum, I would have had three questions. Yeah. My first question would be, do you want the genderized language taken out of Article 41? Yeah, that could two? have been done very easily, it though. could have been they done could have very easily. parent where, where mother appears. Exactly, yeah. And parents, yeah. by their life in the home, do X, Y and Z. That could have easily been done, but they're not doing that. Yeah. And sorry, what were your other two well, proposals? Well, two, do you want to replace it with the language about carers in the home? And three, do you want to include durable relationships as, as uh, foundational families? Mm. And I think it would have made it much more clear cut. It's the way it is done with these two questions is adding unnecessary complication to polling day on the 8th of March. At AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored exclusively for your business needs, spanning offices, warehouses, industries, workshops, schools and public spaces. Specialising in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. Our offerings include versatile storage solutions and comprehensive office project design and implementation. With over 45 years of experience, we stand as your trusted partner in smart B2B solutions. To explore all we have to offer, visit ajproducts.ie and elevate your business with AJ Products. When we had the Minister for Integration, Radhika Gorman, in a couple of weeks ago here, Michael, I asked him, perhaps rather impolitely, were these questions not just about the vibes part of the Constitution? And uh, he, he reposted that it wasn't about vibes, it was about values. And I suppose that is... Some of, I mean, you're yeah. saying there are real legal consequences for some of the things we're discussing here, but a lot of what we're discussing here is about the constitution as expression of the values of the society yeah. in, in in which we live, and those those do change. Well, don't I'm they? not I'm not accusing Justine of of this, and I want to make that clear because she's said she's not doing it, and I accept fully what she's not doing. She's not pursuing a transgender ideology, uh, you know, um, just ignoring the difference between men and women completely. That is not your position. But it is the position of Roderick O'Gorman to a large extent. There is an element in the present government which, after the marriage equality referendum, which I've enthusiastically supported financially and every other way, they, uh, they now say, well, the trans issue is the big issue that we have to deal with now. It seems to me that that this government has been quite careful to try and keep that out of its debate. There were yes, there the, were certain wordings yeah. and certain things that were that have been proposed well, in relation to this, and they didn't end up in the proposal. Well, I don't agree. I, I think that I think that a lot of the argument that any language, any any reference to a mother or a woman in the context of the family, as opposed to a parent, is somehow misogynistic. And, I mean, for instance, go back to what we were just discussing earlier. Supposing the the government had come forward with three questions, as you suggested, and supposing they had said, um, we're sticking parents in for the life within the home and uh, parents not being obliged, or or work work in the home, parents not being obliged to, by economic necessity, to Mm -hmm. neglect their duties in the home. Would any of you have objected to that? No. But that's not what they did. They then des- they decided, no, we want a different cons- uh, thing put into it. And, and they, they will come to it, I presume, later in this discussion. They want to put in, take out the whole concept of care in the family at, at one level and put in a new Article 42B dealing with um, care in a different context. But it's all driven by a desire to make the Constitution blind 
to but the, the difference citizen, between men and women. The Citizens uh, Assembly and the Oireachtas uh, Committee both recommended um, the insertion of the care clause. Yeah, and, and, uh, I, I, That's I, not I, the government. I wasn't on, the, I wasn't on that Oireachtas Committee, but I, I find that um, there's, a, there's a kind of a, now I hope it won't be taken up in the wrong way here, but there's a kind of a polarisation in the Oireachtas that everybody's afraid of saying anything which is, um, gender-specific or transphobic anymore uh, in the eyes of their critics. People are leaning over backwards. Uh, I mean, to, for, 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 for a, a government department to, to, to say, uh, um, instead of uh, women who are pregnant, persons who are pregnant, so, no, where so is the Shannad, where, where is that can, can I ask from? you just in terms of your own experience as a as a, as a working politician in the Shannad, the uh, the legislation enabling the amendments was passed by a very very large majority. I think oh, no, yourself no, 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 and second, yeah. three other senators. The, 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 the party party whip. voted against it. But do you is it your experience then that that, that people in the Oireachtas and the Shannad and the Dáil are living in fear of saying what yeah, they think? Well, sorry, absolutely. Uh, in, 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 and I mean, I, I would say this. I mean, the the, the people on the committee that uh, that uh, Justine referred to. Were all are nearly all of one one persuasion in in terms of their outlook. That, that was they probably chose to be on the committee, and that's that's the way the things work in the Oireachtas. But um, let's go back to what actually did happen in the Oireachtas. The government chose the eighth of March as International Women's Day as the day on which they were going to have this referendum. They uh, passed. Do you think that was a gimmick? A, a total gimmick. And they passed. They passed um, uh, legislation last year, setting up an electoral commission. The electoral commission told them, "If you don't pass this, pretty damn fast, we won't have the time to do carry out our functions in terms of putting out le- leaflets and all the rest of it." So what they did was they said, and there were at least fifteen or twenty amendments in the Shannon, and I'm sure the same in the Dáil. They said, we'll give you three hours to discuss these and amendments, and after that, uh, it goes through on the party whip. And that was it. I think, that's, I a, I think that's a fair you, point on you, the, can on I the level of scrutiny. I just say in response to that, that if the government has such a nefarious agenda and if politicians in Leinster House are afraid to say what they really believe, then I would rather that the Supreme Court would interpret what durable relationships are. Well, I mean, well, to, to go back to the cohabiting uh, relationships legislation in 2010, that was the one that got rid of the um, the uh, civil partnerships, which was a process that I per- personally started with Anne Colley's committee and all the rest of it. So I'm, I'm not coming from some ideologically uh, um, distant point on this. But uh, it attempted to look at what is the essence of the of the relationship we want to protect. I said there has to be two people in it who are adults. That's pretty obvious. But now, single-parent families are going to come into this uh, in a moment. But they have to, the, the relationship has to be committed and it has to be um, uh, intimate. So, in, in other words, it's not two, two spinsters or two bachelors are not going to uh, be in, in, in that relationship. And it's in, in relation to those uh, relationships, we're going to uh, say that after two years, you can qualify if, if there's a child of that relationship. After five, and we went back to the infertile families a moment ago, uh, after five otherwise. So that people who, I mean, we all know people who have come together and gone apart after periods of time. And I know and, many and, and, married couples who should have got, yeah. gone their separate ways long ago yeah. for the sake of their children. <laughs> do, you share, exactly. do you share any of Michael's concern of that, that, that this phrase, durable relations, 
may just lead to just just huge complications and and difficulties of of interpretation of what of, of what kind of a relationship we're talking about. I know? actually do believe in the democratic process, despite my uh, remark there about the Supreme Court. I also <laughs> have great faith ruling in the doll. The, I think you were saying earlier. <laughs> <as well. laughs> I also have great faith in our senior judges who have proven you know their worth over the decades. I think if we pass this referendum. It is the people saying, this is what we want. Now, you legislators and you judiciary, deal with it. Give us the country that we want. Well, can I give you an example now? In England, um, and it's far more um, demographically a fact, there are far more um, Muslim families uh, living in England than there are in Ireland, though there's a growing cohort of the Irish population. And um, there are in England... Um, families who are which are polygamous in the eyes of the old English law, you know, um, people who come in from Syria or Pakistan or whatever, or uh, North Africa, and they live, you know, a man and two uh, women and uh, a good, good number of children, five children. They live as a family unit. Okay, now you then ask yourself, is their relationship durable? You know, for instance, if one of them dies on the O'Mara case, will there be any social welfare provision for one of the remaining partners to a three-cornered relationship? You know, uh, Marie Baker, uh, Judge Marie Baker, she said, hard cases will be decided in the courts. But who, who is going to say, sorry, well, this is a, go back to the beginning of the Constitution, this is a Christian state, we've never agreed with polygamy. And therefore, um, your relationship is different and the two women and the one man don't have the equivalent of family rights in respect of the children or may I have... I suppose one could respond to that, which is just taking Justine's response, which is that the courts and, and the judges have proven themselves eminently sensible and cognizant of societal and mm. cultural norms in Ireland. Polygamy is illegal as far as I know uh, in, in, yeah. in Ireland anyway. But that, you know, all this talk about throuples or about what if you've had a you've had an affair for 20 years as well as your marriage was the status of that. I'd have some confidence in in the common sense of judges when dealing with those, I, I, with those sorts I, I, of I, I would uh, I would have confidence. Of course I have confidence in the judiciary. But if they're, if they're confronted by um, somebody a tax inspector saying to um, to uh, the polygamous uh, you see it, it's, it's an offence to get married in Ireland bigamously. It's, I can go off to an Islamic country and marry polygamously, and I don't commit an offence in Irish law. So living polygamously in Ireland is not unlawful. But if a tax inspector denies that couple, uh, or triple, or whatever you are, I don't like the word triple, but if it denies that the people in that relationship certain uh, rights which would it would accord to a binary um, uh, relationship or a single-parent family, and you're a judge in the Supreme Court... And you're supposed to be holding all citizens as equal and all children as equal. Are you going to say, ah, well, now going back to De Valera's time, um, you know, um, this would never... But should the children of those relationships not be treated as equal in any case? The, why should the children be disadvantaged well, well, or discriminated well, 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 against? Once, in any once, way? You get, once you get to that point, and, and the, in the O'Mara case, um, uh, Mr. O'Mara and his children, their individual rights uh, of equality start, start, came into it. start being so, so, yes. so if if they are, if, if, but if the question arises, is this a durable relationship? 
And you have said, you know, it has to be committed. They, they, they have to, um, to use... Um, and I think she was being slightly flippant. Uh, the notion if you get a joint wedding invitation or if you get Christmas cards, I'm, I'm not. I'm not holding that against Judge yeah. Baker at all. I, I uh, went to a few <laughs> weddings with people who I'm not married to. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but in any event, uh, just 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 take that uh, as uh, as a throwaway remark by her. But if you if you are, are asking, you know, is that a durable relationship? And you've said in the relation to a married uh, sort of to a, a, a binary couple. Um, or even a, a gay couple or a lesbian couple, uh, X and Y is durable. And you say, no, I won't give that to three people. I just won't do it. Well, I'm, uh, on I'm, what basis do you say I won't do I'm it? I'm no judge, but I, I have watched judges and I have seen how sensible they can be. Yeah. And I think they would deal with that sort of situation very well. First of all, those relationships are not recognised in law, by in Irish law. Well, Polygamous uh, uh, relationships are not recognised in Irish at the law. Mo- at the moment, because the family is based on marriage and marriage is... Uh, uh, but we're now marriage saying... Marriage between two yeah, people. Yeah, 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 that's marriage between two people. And we're now saying durable relations, which are not marriages between... Between two people. No, no, there's no between two people. Because that's the that's the thing. They, they, I put down an amendment to say between two people, and Roderick O'Gorman said, "Well, what about the single parent?" I'm not sure how far we need to go down this. I, I think this party is a rabbit hole, but I also think of it as a good debating point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's polyamory we're talking about here rather than polygamy. <laughs> but uh, just that, that minor editorial point uh, on it. Very popular uh, subject in lifestyle magazines, I noticed these But the point is, why are, we, why are we, being, we being asked to make... If the, if the government had simply said, look, we will legislate, and as in previous, um, say on the abortion, uh, the, the Eighth mm. Amendment, they said, this is going to be the law, this is what we intend to do. Um, they probably fine. should have done that, shouldn't they? The, the, shouldn't why, they did, why did they not say, the, instead of um, uh, cohabitation law in the 2010 Act, this is going to be the new draft mm. bill, here you go. They don't want to do it because they're coming towards the end of their term mm. and they made a stupid commitment to have it on the 8th, 8th of, uh, of, of, of March and they haven't, they haven't done the homework. And people like the Department of Finance are saying, hold it, there are revenue uh, implications to all of this and the Department of Social Welfare, to use Justin's things, the government isn't thinking. They're saying, hold it, uh, is everything now um, open? Are we to deal with everybody as... Uh, yeah, but there are solutions. There are solutions oh, there are, are yeah. available, yeah, but available post facto as well as now but at this avail- stage. But that's the whole point. They're available now. If they have some brilliant idea for people who are cohabiting um, to give them same welfare rights or the same taxation rights, nothing in the Constitution is stopping them from doing it. We yes, are- but the Constitution will say to them, do it. We we are oh, going to have to wrap we are going to have to wrap this up pretty soon because we have actually been talking for an hour, which is twice as long as I thought we were going to. Which goes to show that it's it's a great subject for a chat. Anyway, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a great subject for a referendum. The reason I, I I say that is because the the Irish Times poll shows a a co- very comfortable majority for a yes vote currently four weeks less than four weeks out. Um, we know these things can swing a lot during a referendum. Uh, we also know they can change a lot if there's a very low turnout. I suspect it is going to be a very low turnout. The, that's a hundred percent correct. Because I, I was one of the champions of saving the Senate, and I had switched from being an abolitionist in my youth uh, to being uh, my political youth. And uh, I took yeah. your advice and voted uh, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was very disappointed uh, that you succeeded, but, 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 to be honest. But, but anyway, but, but just just to tell you, you're, the, the Irish Times, God bless it. Um, and uh, who are we to knock it in this room? Indeed. Uh, um, on the Monday before the Thursday, 
predicted a comfortable win for the, for the abolition. And it all depended, as you were saying, on who turns out to vote. I'm worried about two things on polling day. One is a low turnout. And I think conversations like this are going to be really good to, you know, boost the turnout. My other big fear is that people are going to use this as a protest vote against the government. And please, I beg people not to do that. It's important. It matters. It matters to an awful lot of people. And when I and and Michael, I am not suggesting you're uh, of like mind. But when I saw anti-immigrant protesters chanting last weekend, calling for people to vote no in the referendums, my blood turned cold. Because if people are going to use this to protest about other matters, that is the wrong motivation. I agree. Do it for good, not for ill. I agree completely with what you've just said. But can I also say that uh, an officer of the National Women's Council wrote an elaborate article in the Irish Examiner the other day, and this is a state-funded organisation, saying that voting yes would somehow help save the environment. I mean... People should stick to the to the to, to what they're doing and not talk about Im- anti-immigrants or asylum seekers or um, the climate. Uh, it, it is not going to change the climate one bit. But an elaborate article, as long as the ones you and I write uh, in the Irish Times, that long, appeared in the Irish Examiner. I thought we were uh, going to have a meeting of minds here as we came. We came <laughs> in, but I, I think it is a point, and it is worth noting. And I think you do both agree on this that that it can happen in Irish referendums. We've seen it in the past that things get get dragged in um, as as sort of as sort of red herrings and and can have a major influence. And I think if you add to that the way in which culture wars operate in in the kind of the current social media and media environment, that's a danger that's a danger too. But there is a real um, it is really rather disappointing that most people seem entirely disengaged from this, don't they? They they don't seem to think that it's yeah, particularly I important. I think to Irish Times excluded uh, the media by and large has not been engaging in yeah. it. Um, um, and that's going to change in the coming weeks. Nothing that happens in the Senate is ever covered. I mean, I, uh, unless I stripped, my speeches would not be covered in the Irish Times. <laughs> there was a time that they had uh, 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 a very Your good... Your speech re- wouldn't be covered that day either, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> I can tell you. But I mean, but, I mean uh, not, nothing that's said uh, is covered really. In, 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 in the, uh, it's, well, it's, it's a sad thing. The Irish Times is, is, is our best paper of record. Uh, the simple fact is that you know the, the intricacies of parliamentary discussion are never never covered at all. Are the are there different views that are, are brought to bear? They're never covered at all. This is but, as a former but, minister, Michael. You will you know, know this is subject I, for another day. But the, again, the the decline of the resources available to know, media to do all the things that they used to do is a whole other yeah, subject but, for another but, day. But on, the, on the other hand, I won't get involved in a, a proxy war with the editor. But there are plenty of supplements on health issues and no pro- supplements on parliamentary issues. But He's just say, upstairs. I'll bring you up to him now. <laughs> but the second thing I would say is, I mean, on immigration, by the way, Neil Richmond went on television and said that uh, expanding the definition of the family would have um, serious consequences, as he put it, for uh, family reunification rights. There you go. I, I'd have to hear that interview and understand his it was, reasoning. It was, on, it was on the Tonight programme and I have it here, yeah. Oh, that's well, way past my bedtime. I, I, mine, mine too, actually. No, mine too. We are going to have to leave it there. That was a really interesting conversation and uh, went in all kinds of different directions that I didn't fully expect it to. All, and it was all the, all the better for that. I Thank didn't you. didn't say anything about care. 
uh, and we said nothing about care. But, and, and, and I'm going to I'm going to make an editorial decision and say that's because that's a largely meaningless clause, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think it I think can we all agree it's, on that? It's window dressing. Great. On that note of agreement, we will leave it. Thanks so much to Justine McCarthy and Michael McDougall for joining us today. Thanks to our producer John Casey. We'll be back with you very soon indeed. Thanks for listening. 